Welcome back, one and all, to That's Entertaining. This week we discuss House of Cards, but first, we discuss the news and what we've been entertained by. And joining me as usual is Mr. Justin Pickard. Justin, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a good day. Um, we're recording a little, little later than we are usually do during the week. Uh, so it feels a little unusual, but uh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm really excited for our topic this week, as you know. Oh, yes. It is... It's been a long time coming. I mean, we've been wanting to discuss this for a while, and we're going to have a great spoiler-filled discussion of House of Cards at the end of the episode. So if you want to listen to the rest of the show, and then if you haven't caught up completely to House of Cards, we'll be discussing spoilers uh, through Season 3, which is the one that just came out on Netflix. But we won't get to anything on House of Cards until towards the end of the show, so feel free to listen to the news and what we've been entertained by until then. Absolutely. Speaking of what we've been entertained by, Justin, what have you been entertained by? Well, uh, it's been a really light week for light, light week for me, um, but I've actually been watching a, another Netflix original show, a new one called Bloodlines. I haven't watched that yet. I was actually considering it. Uh, we I watched the first episode with my uh, wife. And we both loved it. If after the first the first episode, it's either going to hook you or it's not. Um, but it's a family drama kind of show. But there is definitely it's not as dry as House of Cards. Um, okay. uh, whereas some people have a hard time getting behind the drama on House of Cards. This is still drama, but there's a lot more action not action but there's a lot more stuff going on and uh, a lot more movement and there's it's one of those shows that shows a little bit of the future and past and stuff and it raises a lot of questions that you want to be answered so i we really liked it we've only watched you know i think three episodes now okay uh just you know with time and stuff but uh, we will probably watch more this week, and uh, we're. I'm definitely suggesting it to everyone. It's a great show. So I'm gonna give it a shot. I think. Yeah, I I would I would give it a shot. I mean, like I said, the first episode you'll know right away, like the, the pacing of the show, and if you know if you're intrigued at all, you'll want to watch more or not watch more. So. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, enjoying that. Uh, and then I did get to I rented uh, Nightcrawler. Um, this is the movie with Jake Gyllenhaal, where he's like a uh, a news. He's like a local news um, crime uh, video videographer. I don't know how to say that. Videographer. Uh, he takes video like videos of crime and stuff in L.A. But uh, there's a really, really very dark side to him. And uh, it's a really, really good movie. Uh, thriller, you know. Uh, I watched that with my wife and she was really into it. Um, I highly suggest that movie as well. And Jake Gyllenhaal uh, knocks it out of the park. So. Yeah, I was going to say, he got nominated for an Oscar for his role in that movie. 
Yeah, he he definitely he portrays a unlikable character, but um, he does it really really well. So, and in other movies, I've liked you know liked his characters, but he uh, he really transformed into this role. So, uh, highly suggest that I would check it out. I got it out of Redbox. You know, you that's my usual go to is uh getting stuff from Redbox and. I was able to pick that up, and it was uh, very good. Cool. And then, I've got a confession to make. Uh-oh. So, we are supposed to be discussing Dragon Age Inquisition uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, well, a little bit longer. We're a few weeks out from that discussion, but I I should be... I plan on being finished with that game, right? Uh-huh. Well, I might have decided to jump into another really long uh, role-playing game. No! <laughs> uh, I couldn't help myself last week. I was... Final Fantasy Type-0 HD was coming out last week. And it came with the Final Fantasy fifteen demo. Exclusive demo. Uh, I was looking at gameplay of uh, the Type Zero HD game, and uh, I thought this doesn't look too bad, and I really want to play the 15 demo, so I went ahead and bought this game. And I gotta be honest, I really like Type Zero HD. <laughs> um, now that's a PSP game originally, right? Yeah, it's a PSP game that only released in Japan, so it's never even been playable and. Uh, the U.S. Um, but I think it must have... I mean, it's a very interesting story and stuff. I think it's just... It's a different type of game than most of our core Final Fantasies. Uh, it's definitely action. It's... Kind of got the feel of... Uh, like an action-adventure game. Um, okay. It's not... You know, there's no... Um, Active, you know, active time battle, or even like, uh, I mean, your actions are uh, mapped to certain buttons, and you're just kind of hitting those. Okay. And there's a little bit of strategy to it, um, for sure, but it is, you know, it plays much like an action game, with a lot of role playing. You know, you're still leveling up, still choosing new abilities. Uh, there is, you can, you know, there's summons. Um, Why is it called Type Zero? Uh, you know, I tried looking up, and there's, like, really no reason for it. I think th- I think they knew when they were making it that it wasn't a core Final Fantasy game. And well, they don't really... There's no core Final Fantasy games. I mean, you look at 1 through 7, or, I mean, 1 through 10, they had nothing to do with each other. Yeah, that's very true. But I think, because uh, even when it came out, MPSP, I mean, there were bigger games, you know, I think... Uh, either 12 or probably, thir- you know, even 13 in the beginning of the PS3's life cycle or Xbox 360's life cycle. Uh, I mean, I think the, the big budget, huge games, I think that's what I would consider, like, the core games. Because, I mean, like, uh, let's see, Final Fantasy, like, uh, Crisis Core. Uh-huh. It's not... It's offshoot of other games, so... 
Speaking of Crisis Core, if you ever played Crisis Core, this actually plays a lot like that game did. Yeah, I, I liked Crisis Core. That was a good game. Yeah, it, it plays a lot like that. Uh, feels a lot. Uh, feels the same. Um, and I've only played a little bit of that. Because uh, I thought, <laughs> off on a tangent, you can't get you can get most PSP games on my Vita, which would make sense, you know, if they're digital games. Uh, except for Crisis Core is not available to buy on my Vita, hmm. and I don't understand that. It's like something like Square's, high, you know, holding that close to the chat. I don't know. There's I don't know. No good reason for that. But hold on a second. You have a Vita? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I I've mentioned that several times on this show. <laughs> I play uh, Final Fantasy VII on it uh, uh, regularly, actually. <laughs> Irregularly? Is that what you said? Reg- regularly. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It just must have never clicked that you had a Vita. Because yes. I was like, I don't know. I was trying to think, and I didn't know anybody that had a Vita, but I guess I do. Yeah, I, I own I own a Vita, and I, uh, I, I love my Vita, so yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways, back to Type Zero. It's a really good game. Uh, I do like it. It feels, it feels old school, like... Um, Kind of what I miss from, you know, there's not as much voice acting. There's a little bit, and it's pretty awful. But a lot of the story is through text, which I actually miss that. I could deal without the voice acting, especially in Japanese games. Because sometimes the voice acting is just bonkers. Uh, so, but yeah, I'm loving Final Fantasy Type-0 HD. Cool. Uh, and that's that's about it. I did I did play the the fifteen demo, but I haven't played enough of it yet to really uh, get into it. So I might talk about that next week. Yeah, I know some people were just buying the demo itself, but the demo is just a demo, right? You're gonna get that content in the full game when it releases, correct? Uh, no. They this it's I guess it's about three four hours of content. And it's not going to be... They made this specifically as a demo. So if I want to get in on this story, I guess I should probably buy something um, that has a demo. There's really no story, as far as, far as I can see. I mean, uh, it's the kind of thing where I think... So in, in the demo, your car is broken down, which I think is like going to be a main part of the game, is driving around in your car to different locations. Mm-hmm. Well, in the demo, your car is broken down, and you have to make enough money to uh, repair it at the repair shop. Uh, and there's a huge mythical be- beast that you can like hunt uh, to get the uh, you know he you get a reward for killing the beast, and then you can fix your car. Okay. So there's no story per se, because all you're really doing is hunting down a, a huge boss, and getting the money to leave. So I I can tell you, you're not going to miss anything if you don't see any of the story or stuff. I think, I mean, so far the demo just really shows off the combat mechanics and uh, some of the other uh, leveling up mechanics. Is there, there's no achievements or trophies in it, is there? Not that I've seen. I'm not 100% sure, I guess. I, I don't think I got any. But I don't think so. That I don't think there would be, unless like, for some reason the achievement or trophy was attached to 
Type Zero as a game, but I mean they're separate games, so. Mm-hmm. And there's no transfer of like character level over from the beta to the full game. Not that I've demo. heard. In in the in the um demo, you start a little bit higher level. So that's what I've been entertained by this week. And uh, what have you been entertained by, Nathan? Uh, a lot, <laughs> actually. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's been a busy week, but I also got a lot some time to, to fit in some entertainment stuff. It felt like I've been absent from like being able to watch you know different movies or play games for a while. But uh, on the gaming front, uh, the second, I'm sorry, third episode of Telltale's Game of Thrones came out. Played through that, loved it. Uh, that is excellent. It's, in my opinion, probably the strongest episode of uh, the season so far, yeah. and also that series is shaping up to be one of the best I think that I've played from them. Really? Yeah. I'm 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 considering getting that, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Have, have, now I know you're doing the Borderlands too. Did you? Only play episode one on that, and that did that, that kind of throw you off a little bit. Well, the, so episode two is out for there, but I haven't played that one yet. That's on my list of things to play. Uh, that's kind of okay. below my Dragon Age DLC, which is going to take me a while to get through. Yeah, um, but it's if you've watched the TV show or you read the book, it's really in line with with those mediums because. It, it's paced just like the show is, and there's a lot of intricacies that are just really cool, and there's a lot of good dialogue, and it's it's good. If, you, if you're if you a fan of Game of Thrones, I think you're going to like the, the game. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know why I wouldn't pick it up. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the show, so I'm sure I would enjoy it, but um, I, I at this point, I'll probably wait now until the entire season's out, and then maybe I'll uh, pick it up. Yeah. It's good, though. Uh, I definitely recommend it. Alright. So I played episode 3 of that, just came out. And another piece of content that was just released that I alluded to is the Dragon Age Inquisition DLC. I believe it's called the Jaws of Hakan, or Hakan. Mm-hmm. So basically what that is, is it's a $15 DLC pack that you can buy that opens up a new region on the map, so it's in a completely new region. Oh, and wow. it has its own, you know, camps to find, rifts to close, story, little plot elements there, and just different pieces of equipment and stuff that you can find. And it seems to be that, like, there's a lot more rare flowers and stuff there, or, like, little things to collect that are more of the rare kind. So, like, philandris and other things like that, I've seen them growing all over the place there, which were kind of hard to find in the in the main game. But been playing through that i've probably put it four hours easily into it and haven't i haven't completed it yet so it's uh, a dragon age level <laughs> piece of dlc yeah you're so, uh, sounds like you're just like with a game you're you're getting your your money's worth for sure yeah yeah i mean 15 bucks a lot of a lot of games will come out and won't even ha- okay i mean low-hanging fruit but the order 1866 came out or 1886 and I guess it was like five hours long to beat it. And 
this piece of DLC comes out, and I'm already playing it for probably as long as I'd play The Order at DD6. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. I don't even feel like I'm halfway through it yet. You know, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, uh, you know, Bioware's knocking it out of the park with, like, value of this game uh, compared to other companies. So, yeah. Definitely recommend the DLC. Like I said, I haven't... The story I've kind of touched on a little bit, but with Dragon Age, the way I usually play it is I open up the map, kind of go get all the caps, camps established, yeah. and then I'll kind of go through and do the story. There was this kind of funny thing... I'm not going to spoil it, but there's like a little plot line that kind of, you get to this part where you think it's going to be this big battle, and it's not really that big of a battle. It's kind of funny, but okay. it's, it's good that they still have like humor and stuff that they're able to, to swing into there. Yeah, absolutely. So, but been playing that. I've also become mildly addicted to Threes on my Xbox One. Okay. Have you ever played Threes? It's on, I, um, it's on mobile devices, too. Yeah, I I played it quite a bit on i on my uh, on iOS, so uh, I'm definitely familiar with threes. Yeah. Uh, was this had you played it on a smart device or uh, I, yeah, or or did you start it on your Xbox? So I played it on my iPhone, but I didn't get very, I didn't really get into it very much. I kind of understood what was going on, but then I never played it a lot more. Then I saw it was on sale on Xbox for like three bucks. Which makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And so I picked it up, and then I got a, was getting achievements for it, so that kind of made me want to keep playing it. <laughs> so uh, basically, been playing that, and I've also been uh, in the... You can snap it on the Xbox One, and when you snap it in the side, like you can have like TV or Netflix in the main portion, and then on the side, you can actually keep playing threes if you want to keep playing it. So pretty fun, and addicting really to just keep going because it has a soundtrack and just like these little sound effects that are that just kind of keep you going you know kind of like chill out music almost yeah i really liked um like the new of the different sound effects of the different characters or numbers mm-hmm. and i really liked um when you got to a new character a new number a higher number uh, like the descriptions and stuff mm-hmm. they'd have of those. Like the little backstory. Yeah, when you like first get them. I really liked that. Yeah. So, so I've been playing that. Uh, I have also been playing... There was... Forza Horizon 2 put out a piece of DLC, or actually a standalone game, really, um, that is a tie-in to Fast and Furious, or Furious 7, that's coming out next week, uh, the movie. And it's called Forza Horizon 2 Presents Fast and Furious. So they released that. Uh, it's going to be $10 in a, a few weeks, but they released it now to be free as a promotional thing to help promote the movie too, cross-promotion there. And I played through that, got 100% of the achievements on it, and it's a great game. It's just a small taste of what Forza Horizon 2 is, obviously. I, I love Forza Horizon 2. It's one of my favorite games on the Xbox One. But definitely, if you have an Xbox One, I recommend downloading this while it's free to play it. And if you haven't played Forza, definitely check it out. It's Forza Horizon 2 allows you to do more things with cars, editing them, and there's a lot more to do, obviously. I call Forza Horizon 2 Presents Fast and Furious a small piece of the cobbler that is Forza Horizon 2. Okay. 
Well, I mean, that's I think that's probably the whole the whole point of it, right? Yeah, I mean, um, it, it's a marketing tool. I'm sure on both ends to yeah I mean, to build yeah, hype it, for the movie and to take hype from the movie and you know siphon that into uh, the game. Yeah. But I read something funny on <laughs> uh, Reddit the other day, and they said they were trying to just they were poking fun at Drive Club, and like, is it is it weird that this came out before Drive Club for PS Plus came out, and this was like just announced. <laughs> yeah, um, no, that's <clears throat> as far as I know. I think they might have given up on the PS Plus version of Drive Club, <laughs> or I mean, because by the time they do come out with it, uh, most people are just gonna be like, whatever. Like <laughs> you, it's too little, too late. You're, you know, yeah, you you ruin your chance to, because that. That free version was supposed to promote the 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 real game, because mm-hmm. I I don't you know there was stuff missing from the PS Plus version that you would want you know supposedly want in the full game, but at this point that game's you know you're probably gonna be able to get it used for pretty cheap and you know at this point because it's been out for a while, and just yeah, just give up. Yeah, I it's crazy that. The PS Plus version's not out yet, but... Oh, well. <laughs> so that's all I've been doing on the gaming front. Um, and on the TV side of things, I've been watching a new TV show. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of a... It's a comedy kind of thing called The Last Man on Earth. Mm-hmm. It's got Will Forte in it um, and uh, another comic lady. I can't remember her name. So... It's an interesting show. I've been watching that. At first, I wasn't too hooked on to it, but as the show's kind of progressed on, like the four episodes in, I think it is now, it's actually gotten a little bit better as it goes. So I'm looking to see how how they take the storyline that they're developing now, if they find more people alive or whatever they have. But it's interesting. Um, it's not super funny. It's not really... I honestly don't know if I would recommend it just yet. But I just think it's interesting to watch right now to see where it goes. Yeah, I've heard people talking about it, but like, like that that what you're saying seems to be the same thing everyone's saying. It's like, they don't necessarily recommend it yet, but like they are curious enough to keep watching it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of better TV shows out there. I just like this looks interesting and weird, so I was watching it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I like Will Forte, so uh, but. I'd be interested to see what he was doing, but... Yeah. Um, other than that, on the movie front, I watched a new movie that was on Crackle. Uh, it's a Crackle original. Oh, yeah. Okay, yep. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I know what you're talking about. No, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that is Dead Rising Watchtower. So, fans of the games will know what Dead Rising is, and so this movie has a lot of callbacks and... Uh, homages to the game uh it's interesting there's like one part where they're inside of a a locker kind of thing and they're trying to find stuff to to build weapons so they're like in dead rising two and three you can kind of build weapons and put them together with duct tape so they were doing that and then this one guy found the statue of frank west that you can find like in in dead rising three okay so it was like oh my goodness they put all this stuff in there yeah and it ties into some of the characters that are... They're supposed to be interacting with some of the characters from, like, Dead Rising 3, things like that. 
So evidently, this takes place before Dead Rising 3. Okay. So, it's a... It's an interesting watch. It was kind of difficult, honestly, to watch it on Crackle because they put commercials in. Yeah. And it's the same commercials every time. So it's just like... I I don't mind commercials if there's a varied... You know, give me some different commercials, but it was the same two or three every time. So that kind of got old. Yeah. But I got through it. Crackle in general is kind of weird. Yeah. It's like a weird... I think Sony owns that, and it's like a weird video surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, service, at, you know, because there's usually not much on it, but it's free, but it's ad ad driven, you know. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, Crackle is an interesting service. There's not a ton of good content on it, but it is free. So if you wanted something to watch, there could be something there to watch. There, there are some movies and TV shows on there, but the placement of the ads is just yeah kind of gross i mean if, if you didn't have netflix or anything and you were like desperate to like watch something i mean it is completely free so you could easily download crackle and uh try to find something on there yeah and i could see that because that's not a bad thing if you don't have anything else yeah but being so used to netflix or something that it just no commercials you just pay your eight bucks and you're in exactly yeah so so i watched that i've also watched some other trailers um the first trailer that I want to talk about was the Mission Impossible Rogue Nation trailer. Mm-hmm. Did you get a chance to watch that at all? I did. That looks good. Yeah, that it looks, looks really good. good. Uh, yeah, I really, yeah, I really liked that. Um, and uh, I think that that trailer was huge this week because then it came out that Tom Cruise actually did do that stunt on the side of the plane, which. That's got to be... I want to see a special feature on that. That's got to be ridiculous because... Yeah. I mean, I did mean, you see the pictures of him uh, getting strapped up and everything? I, I saw some of the pictures. Yeah. But just the scene that they showed in the trailer, it's like, seriously? What? Yeah, exactly. Like, what... Yeah. It's, this seems to be like... Uh, I almost feel like they're doing taking the Fast and Furious approach where they're like, all right, we've got a decent, like, cast and... Or a good cast. Um... And our last movie was good. Let's just make everything more extreme. And just it'll knock be, it up a notch. And uh, it'll be a better movie. And I think it looks really good. I'm excited yeah. for it. I I think it'll it'll be good as well. They're filming in IMAX, I think, again. Uh, okay. So yeah. there'll be some special IMAX cuts that you can... If you go to an IMAX theater, there'll be scenes that are shot in the IMAX camera. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm... I'm, I'm I really like Ghost Protocol, so I'm, I was excited for this one regardless, but... Yeah. That trailer looks good. Yep, it looks really good. And I think it's funny how uh, it's Rogue Nation and the new Star Wars movie is Rogue One. I think we're getting to the, the era of the Rogue. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a... I mean, it's an intriguing word, you know? Mm-hmm. When I was younger, uh, back when the Xbox Live was first kind of came out, there was a game that was out there called Star Wars um, Clone Wars. And that was before the Clone Wars TV show that was just on, you know, uh, Netflix and stuff now. Uh, it was actually just dealing literally with the Clone Wars era. It was vehicular type combat. And I, I started a clan and we were called the Rogue Knights. So nice. So, I am OG Rogue. I was yeah, all, oh yeah. bef- I was yeah. before the word was cool. Yeah. I, I believe you. We'll, we'll give you that credit. <laughs> 
Um, so other than that, I watched one more trailer that I want to talk about. And this trailer brings back one of my favorite Englishmen, Mr. James Bond. Mm-hmm. Spectre's trailer was released just a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. That Have you watched it yet? Yep. Oh, good lord. It, it picks up, like, I wasn't sure, Skyfall was kind of a standalone film, you know? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure how they were going to do the story, but they're tying into Skyfall. They even made a callback to it in mm-hmm. the trailer. Yep. And so it's got to tie in, like, with the quantum storyline and stuff from the other thing. That, that whole clandestine organization thing looks so good. And I love the quote from the trailer. I think it was something along the lines of, uh, you are a kite dancing in a hurricane, Mr. Mm-hmm. Bond. Yep. I love that line. So what it, whatever the circumstances in between uh, those two guys and whatever drives to that part, I, I know I'm going to love that. So yeah. I'm in. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we knew this movie was going to be good. but um, And this is one of the, especially in today's like age of trailers, this trailer did not give very much up at all about the story or even any scenes, action scenes. It definitely gave hints at what's going on, but um, I was really pleased with actually how like minimal the trailer was. But it was, uh, I mean, amazing. I, like as far as trailers goes, it was a really good one. Yeah, and I wish so. Like, with this trailer and with Mission Impossible and, like, Star Wars, I just wish trailers were, like, a minute and a half, didn't give away anything, and maybe give you one more trailer, like, close to release. Yes. Because these are kind of far out. Yeah. But don't oversaturate everything with it, because you give away a lot of the plot and um, what's going to happen a lot of times, so... I would I would prefer if they just do these little short trailers like this, and then maybe one more, and then the movie. Because I'm already sold. I'm going to go see it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think you develop a really good, one really good, or two really good trailers. You know, one to kind of tease everything, and one, you know, maybe closer that shows a little bit more, but not much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just watched a trailer for a movie coming out called Southpaw. Um, I think that's actually got Jake Gyllenhaal in it, too. But it looks like a really good movie. What? You're on a Jake kick. Yes, I think so. Um, I watched the trailer and I was like, okay. I Like, literally, I just watched the entire movie. Like, (laughs) every plot point came up in the trailer. Like, and it's the kind of movie that you know is probably is somewhat predictable. And they showed all those predictable moments in the trailer. And I was like, why would I, like... You ruined the movie for me. Like I, I could not believe it. It was the first trailer to come out for this movie. Yeah. Um. So I, I was, I, I couldn't. It was one of those moments. I and there's been other trailers like that where you're like, who, who's in charge of this crap? You know. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the Spectre trailer is perfect, spot on. Yeah, that Spectre trailer was. And there was that little bit, uh, on the trailer where there's the, the little bit of that. Uh, theme song the do 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 and it was done in bells mm-hmm. and it was just really slowed down oh, i loved that i yeah. just that little the bell riff i oh so good <laughs> very good yeah i'm excited yeah 
So, uh, other than that, I haven't really been entertained by this, but I will be. I bought some tickets. So, I saw the trailer for Mission Impossible 3, and I saw that there was some sort of special offer, which I still haven't gotten the code yet, but um, if you bought tickets from Fandango to go see Mission Impossible um, Rogue Nation, they were supposed to send you a code to get one of the previous movies to put to your Flickster collection for free. So I got one ticket from there. Okay. And I didn't, uh, I haven't gotten the code yet, but I bought that ticket. So, I mean, that's coming out within the next couple months anyway. So, uh, that'll be good. And I also bought tickets for Fast and Furious, where I think it's just called Furious 7. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's going to be, we're going to go see that at the IMAX on Thursday evening. Okay. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah. And then I also got ticket a ticket for the Saturday of C2E2. Originally, I didn't think I was going to actually be able to make it to C2E2, but okay. one of my family members was like, hey, yada yada, let's go do this. And I was like, I was talking to Jennifer, we rearranged some stuff a little bit, and I was able to uh, arrange it so that I should be able to make it on the Saturday up to C2E2. Okay. So I bought my ticket for there. I also bought a shirt and a lanyard and yeah <laughs> nice i'm not i'm not really sure why i bought the shirt or the lanyard but i did uh, it was you, there yeah it's i mean you i mean have you ever been to c2e2 before yeah i went last year for the first one my okay. first time um i mean i mean it's good to have a memory of something like that you know yeah so i uh, got those uh and looking forward to, to going, obviously, to see the movie and to C2E2 this year. It should be pretty cool. This will be the last C2E2 before Star Wars. So, Okay. Looks good in the line of what's coming out. Yeah. But that's all I've been entertained by for this week. How about we get into our entertaining news? So, first off, uh, now this may be a little bit of an old news item for some people, but I think it happened since our last recording. Yeah. Twitch announced that there was a security breach. Yeah. So, they've been sending out emails to everybody advising them to change their passwords. They've also broken any links that you have. So, like, if you had your account linked with your PC uh, to broadcast, or if you have linked to your PS4 or to your um, Xbox One, you have to reauthenticate to all those now so if you're a twitch user and you haven't yet make sure you go and change your password and then hide your kids hide your wife because <laughs> they're snatching everybody up yep hide your kids hide your mama uh <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah. do you do you have a twitch account yeah i do i've i mean i've i think i broadcasted once a couple weeks ago actually oh you were uh, doing the 1886 game weren't you uh yes it was Okay. And then um, I had no I had no viewers, but but I did I, I put out my first I you know just to try to check it out because I hadn't used that on the PS4 at all yet. Um, but I, I mean I tend to watch stuff on Twitch here and there. Uh, but yeah, I, I was I didn't get an email, but I was prompted like soon as I logged in one day to just change my password. So I uh, I did that. That's good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, it's not good that. You had no. to, but it's good yeah, that yeah. you did. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I'll say about this is, like, uh, I guess, you know, a ton, like tons of people rely on Twitch now for, you know, 
either their full income or partial income or, you know, just money. And, you know, a lot of people are making livings on Twitch now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they seem to, like, recognize that they had a security breach and, like, handle it. You know, they made everyone reset their passwords, you know, take away those links and everything. Like, I feel like other services have been breached and they're just like, oh, uh, what do we do now? Or, yeah. you know, it, it maybe more news will come out out about what exactly that breach was but from the outside looking in it seems like they just kind of took care of it so yeah they seem to be at least proactive about it you know yeah because they make you you can't log into your account without changing your password so any exactly, passwords yeah. that they had um plus okay i gotta say this i'm i'm an it guy i have a security-based mind <sighs> do not use the same or similar passwords Especially if you have a similar account name on different services. Yeah. So, like, if your password is password1 on Twitch, and it's also password1 on your bank account, and it's the same ID, you you, you, you lost all your money. I'm, I'm sorry. It's gone. <laughs> yeah. Because, obviously, they're, they're looking for these weaknesses to find passwords, to find usernames to match up with. And if they find a username that has the same password it's easy as day or if they find a username that has a similar password it's easier for them to crack it if, yeah. if they find out what your bank might be or some other facebook account twitter whatever um just make sure when you're making passwords that you be as complex as you can remember and do something that's that you will remember that's easy for you so <laughs> i was talking with one of the security guys at work and talking about how easy it really is for someone to guess someone's password. You might think that the name of your child or an, and the year that you were married might be a good password. But if you have someone who's like, oh, yeah, so your, is your password, would you ever give it to anybody? I'm like, no, no, no. And like, okay. And so then they act like they're social engineering and taking a quote-unquote survey or poll and saying, does your password consist of any of these things? Mm-hmm. Wife name, you know, uh, dog name, uh, cat, whatever. Uh, does it consist of a, a spe- significant year to you, yada, yada, yada. If they look on your Facebook page and see that your wife's name is, you know, whatever, at that point they can say, well, that sounds like that's your password, let's try it, and they can get in. Yeah. I, it's easy to, to really... Yes, yeah. Social uh, engineering, just any listeners, Justin, anybody who has passwords out there, make them different. Yes, yeah. I've heard that that exact thing, the social engineering. I, I think I took a class or read something about, yeah, security in general, and that was, like, the number one thing they said, like, that's why hackers, are they are social, a lot of them are social engineers, and... They know how to trickfully get information out of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of people, you don't even, you don't have to have hacksaw's skills on the PC to really hack someone's <clears throat> information or to be able to access it. Yeah. All you got to do is talk to them and you yeah. can pretty much get what you need. Yeah. There's, people are so willing to share so much information and they don't realize what they're giving away. It's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, um. I don't remember which site it was on. It was on either Verge or um, maybe Kotaku or something. But there was an article about a guy um, who 
someone had gotten into his Apple account and like deleted all of his pictures, all of his videos, like just everything. And uh, it was like a horrible moment for him. Well, the guy, I don't know how he found the guy who did it, but he did, or the guy contacted him. And he's like, yeah, well, I found your, I figured out your password to like your Gmail account. And that was the same password for your, I decided to see if it was your Apple ID account, a password too. And it was, and he's like, I just did it to do it. I didn't, you know, he didn't, he could have went further and tried to get into his bank accounts, but you know, some of these people, that's just, that's their attitude is I just did it to do it. And a you know, to go along with you, you know, saying don't use the same password. That's, yeah, that's very true. Yep. So, moving on from <laughs> oh, the serious. security talk. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we went off on uh, a tangent there. A little bit. Uh, Pokemon Symphony is announced, and, and there will be tour dates near you. I think there's going to be one in Chicago's the nearest for me. There's one in Grand Rapids uh, oh, that's okay. announced, so there's yeah. going to be one near you. Yeah. Now, I have to say that I won't be going to the Pokemon Symphony because I'm not a Pokemon fan. Like, yeah. When I was younger, I may have considered this, but I mean, I'm not going to do it now. Yeah. Um, but it's just interesting to kind of see that they're they're bringing this classical movement. They've done something similar with Star Wars and video games live and things like that, where they'll play live music from, you know, something that you like and travel across the country and, and do it. It's a cool experience. If you've never gone to anything like video games live or uh, I think it was Star Star Wars on tour or something like that. I can't remember what they called that one. And they play these cool songs. They've arranged them in a way that it works really well with a full symphony. And live symphonic music, if you've never heard live symphonic music, you need to do yourself a favor and go listen to it. Even if you don't say you don't like to listen to that kind of music now, if you go and experience it live, it's a completely life-changing moment, possibly. Because if all you're listening to, as far as music goes, is just, you know, I don't know, Katy Perry or Taylor <laughs> Swift or someone yeah. who auto-tunes the, who auto-tunes everything out of their voice, and it's just whatever the computer generates now is considered music. But I can't speak enough to the effect of live music, especially if it's a symphonic nature with the the strings, the brass, the woodwind instruments. It's just, if you've never heard it, seek out something locally because there's always a local symphony or band or something you can go listen to and just experience it. There's a lot of good nuances and if it's a good band, it will it'll it could quite literally take your breath away what you're listening to. It, maybe that's just me talking because I'm more of a musical kind of guy, but I I really think that if someone would give it a chance and listen to symphonic music, especially in a live setting, it would have more of an effect on them. So if you pair it with something like Pokemon that you might like, you might find yourself really enjoying it because you like the subject matter. You find the songs familiar, and you find that the arrangements are really complex and cool. And it could lead you down the path to go checking out something else. So, the more you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's true. I, I've never, like, went and seen a live symphony show, but, um, you know, kind of along those lines, like, I've went and seen some theater stuff that had, you know, symphonies, you know, attached to them with the music. Um, and that's something I would have told you, you know, five years ago that I'm never going to go see, like, live theater or, like, a, you know, musical. 
but when you see like a well produced show like we, we've got a really nice venue in Grand Rapids now that we've had for a few years um that's what we get the we get the video game live a lot i feel like they come here all the time you need and to go you need to go man i i will check out that one because they're, they're here quite a bit i feel like or at least something very similar it might not be like the one but they play at the same venue and it's um a really nice place but yeah uh i completely i i know what you're saying with just try it out and especially if it's already got a piece of something you like you know as far as video games or Pokemon go, so yeah, video games live is really cool. I I really like that. <clears throat> yeah, they've I, never been local enough for me to go see them though. Oh really? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I'll I'll give it a shot. Well, the next time they're in town, maybe I'll try to get a ticket. Yes, I recommend it, and I expect a full report back if you do. <laughs> Absolutely. Moving on to another piece of video game news: Hideo Kojima is leaving Konami after Metal Gear Solid Five. Justin, what do you know about this? Uh, so this is like a really weird story. Uh, I think GameSpot, or I, I can't remember who broke the story first, or like who was kind of putting stuff out there, but I think it started because people started noticing that uh, Kojima's name was being taken off of a bunch of like site, like Kon- weird Konami sites. Um, and another big thing, they... There's a studio in L.A., I think, or, or in California. Uh, it's, like, Kojima Productions, like, U.S. Hmm. They completely changed the name of that to, like, Konami Productions uh, L.A. or something like that. Like, <laughs> like, they, like, they're taking his name off of a lot of properties and names. Um, kind of just, like, separating his name from Konami. Uh, and then, you know, people started asking questions. They're like, oh my god, is he out? Is he even finishing Metal Gear Solid Five? And uh, we don't have, like, a confirmation, but they have made a few statements now, and all their statements say are Kojima and his team are finishing Metal Gear Solid Five, And that's about it. They're, they're not admitting that he's leaving afterwards, but they're not saying he's staying. Uh, and he's said several times in the last, you know, five, ten years that, you know, this is his last Metal Gear game. Uh, and I think this probably is his last Metal Gear game and he might be leaving, you know, Konami. So, uh, it's interesting piece of news. Yeah. I, I'm I not hate- too worried about it, but I, you know. Kojima's an interesting guy. He has a brilliant mind, obviously. He's, you know, created Metal Gear. Um, and with that, he's got a lot of talent, obviously, because Metal Gear, like, 1 and 2, really were great stories, A. And B, they pushed the systems really to their limit. Yeah. Because it's always been synonymous with, you know, Kojima is something that's going to look really good. And I think he made his own engine. Didn't they call it, like, the Fox Die engine or something like that? Uh, yeah, I think they've had a few engines, and I think the current engine for MGS5, like, they were really pushing this as the Fox engine, and, uh, I've even heard some people speculating that, like, Konami wouldn't, you know, could easily license this engine out, because it's really good looking. Yeah, and I wonder who owns the engine, if it's Kojima that owns it, or Konami? It is Konami, even though, you know, it's, that's the thing that sucks for Kojima, I guess, is... 
Konami owns everything Metal Gear and the Fox Engine. But uh, I mean, he's he's the the talent, you know. Not the, not all of the talent, but he's the you know. He, yeah, he created this whole crazy Metal Gear story. So um, he's obviously talented, and he could go anywhere and come up with something else cool. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he'll he'll surprise us with something that he's been kind of wanting to do for a while. Maybe he he took an idea to Konami, and they said, "No, we just want you to make more Metal Gear." Yeah. Um, and he says, I want to build something else. Because, I mean, <clears throat> once you've been working with that property for a while, especially for someone creative, they want to move on to something else. Yeah. I think so like, I hope I hope it works out for him. Yeah, I think it's like more than 15 years or, you know, maybe 20 years. Like, Metal Gear 1 on the NES, I remember, was it on NES or SNES? NES. NES. Like, that's a long time ago uh, mm-hmm. to be working on one, like, storyline. Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't blame him. Yep. Speaking of creators, let's go back into the movie news for a minute. We got a couple of news bits here for directors of movies. The first being Steven Spielberg. He is going to direct Ready Player One. Now, remind me, I don't know if I've asked you before on this. Have you read Ready Player One? Uh, yeah, I actually have, um, and that, that, that means a lot for me because honestly, it's the only book I've written, uh, read since, like, since the mandatory stuff in high school. (laughs) So it's your first, um, I wouldn't say extracurricular book, but your first book that you read under your own volition that you really just want to read. Yeah, I, yeah, because I, I mean, like that, because it does... I've tried to read a few books here and there. I just, I'm not a reader, you know, I'm always on TV or games or whatever. Um, and, but no, I, I dived into Ready Player One and uh, I loved that book. Mm-hmm. Spielberg directing, it just means a whole lot because obviously if you look at, if you remember the the contents of the book, a lot of it has to do with the 80s, mm-hmm. callbacks to the 80s. And I mean... Spielberg's heyday of his career was the 80s, right? Yep. I mean, you had E.T., you had... Oh, that wasn't the 80s, I don't think. Maybe it was. Was that 70s? But, it may have been. But you also had, like, Indiana Jones and stuff yep. uh, in that same time frame. So it's interesting to see that he's going to be doing this because it. Spielberg is a name that all his projects are going to be worth watching. You know, because there's nothing that he's put out that's horrible. In my opinion, um, there, there's some questionable things. Yeah, but nothing horrible. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, so I got two things that like I'm worried about. Um, one is he did direct. Uh, I and I haven't. I've got a huge. You know, I haven't seen a lot of Indiana movies or Indiana Jones movies, but um, I did hear that Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull was not a good movie, and he directed that. Uh, and so like, and another thing is Ready Player One as a movie is going to have to be pretty heavily special with the special effects. Uh, well, there's going to be a lot of computer generated effects, kind of like probably with how you see with Tron or something like that maybe, but I doubt it'll be, it's not going to look or feel like Tron with what they do. Yeah. But because there, a lot of times when he was transferred into that you know computer verse, 
it was designed like 80s stuff anyway. Yeah. So they be, might be able to use a lot of practical sets for that, too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I guess I'm I'm excited because it's a huge name. You know, they're, they're obviously um, putting their best foot forward on this movie. They're not, they didn't just take the idea of making a popular book into a movie and kind of, you know, use a third tier team or something on it. They're obviously trying to, they know what this movie could be. So, uh, I'm excited about that. Yeah. So we'll watch that develop with interest because I know we're both looking forward to that adaption. But another thing that we're both looking forward to and another director announcement You've seen Captain America and the Winter Soldier, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Arguably one of the top three, at least, of the Marvel movies that have come out. Yes. In no small part, thanks to the directors of that film, the Russo brothers. And the Russo brothers have been announced to be the directors of Avengers, Infinity War Part 1 and 2. So the next two Avengers films will be under the direction of the Russo brothers, the same ones who directed Captain America, The Winter Soldier. I can't be more excited for this director announcement, obviously, because Joss Whedon said that he's, you know, after this one, he's going to step back and he's he's done. He may come back later on, but, I mean, you've been working in the Avengers verse for so long, you kind of want to breathe creatively a little bit, which is understandable. So... The Russos taking on Infinity War 1 and 2, and those are arguably going to be some of the biggest um, impactful movies because at that point you're going to have a lot more characters to juggle with all the new ones that are going to come out. And it's going to be... Alright, I'm going to say something that could be spoilerish. So if you think comics, comic book storylines is spoilerish, skip forward for 10 seconds. Okay. So, 10 seconds, here we go. It's probably going to be dealing with battling Thanos because of the Infinity Gauntlet. Spoiler over. <laughs> so, if that's the case, this is going to be even better of a movie because I think they also had a credit in writing the Avengers, I'm not sorry, Captain America, Age of, or, I can't, I get them all, <laughs> Captain America Winter Soldier, I think they have a credit in also writing that too, so that was an excellent movie and if that's the example of them working together and making a film i am really excited to see what they're going to do with a full cast of characters in the avengers yeah absolutely uh yeah and are so have they been are they also playing are they supposed to be the director of captain america cap 3 i can't remember that off the top of my head right now but i think I think that was the case. Okay, that, I mean that would make sense because they, I, uh, Cap Three is gonna follow the same kind of feel. I feel like uh, that um, the Winter Soldier did, uh, with just like the seriousness and the you know some of the government stuff, and uh, I feel like Avengers is a little bit different style actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I'm I'm interested. Yeah, but I mean yeah, they're great filmmakers or directors so very excited to see where that goes yeah i'm pretty sure they're doing civil war but off the top of my head i can't i'm gonna let me 
Let me invoke the power of the internet. For oh, a little, a uh, little uh, research. That's uh, right. Because I, I don't, I would, ass- I would assume that they were doing, uh, you know, the Civil War movie, but, uh, and I think they would be perfect for it. Cause... Yep, it's Anthony and Joe Russo doing Civil War as well. Okay, so man, they've got a lot on their plate. <laughs> Uh, kind of how you know they kind of loaded everything on Joss Whedon when he first jumped on as director, you know, with uh, Avengers one and two, and then also he had a large part in uh, setting up the Shield show. Mm-hmm. Seems like they're doing a little bit the same thing here, like finding a good director, or a set of directors, and using them for several properties. So, yeah, yeah, I think they'll do they'll do pretty good. Uh, with doing this and i don't know if they're going to be like joss and do captain america and these two avengers films and then stop uh on the marvel side because that'll be four movies that they're going to be directing yeah at that point i think they'll have directed most Mm -hmm. uh, of the franchise yeah that's a lot and it's a long time doing one you know similar to you know what we're saying about you know kojima it's they're different movies, but it's the same universe, you know, that they'll probably be spending, you know, eight, ten years on. Mm-hmm. So, I'm excited for this piece of news. It's it's going to be a good run, uh, as, as long as what they do is on par with what they did with Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and I think it'll be great. Yeah, for sure. So... Uh, one last thing, not news related, but as we like to do on the last episode of a month, is overview the next month's movies in the box office. So, movies for the month of April. Just kind of look over the releases and see what's interesting that's going to be in theaters. So, for April 3rd, which is mm, Friday, there's going to be, in my opinion, one big movie. Which is Furious 7, the seventh movie of the Fast and Furious franchise. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to... Um, I, I don't know if I'll be able to go see it because i got a lot of stuff going on next week, but I cannot wait to hear uh, what your thoughts are on it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to go... I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but the showing that I'm going to on Thursday night is an IMAX showing. Uh, so it should be nice, loud, and big. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. That one's probably going to be the number one grocer of April, as far as box office goes, because it's going to probably have a big weekend. I'm thinking probably open in the 70s, 70 million or so at least. Mm-hmm. And then it'll probably, looking at the next weekend, uh, neither of those movies, Broken Horses or Longest Ride, really sound like they could overpower that. So Furious <laughs> yeah. 7 will probably be two weeks number one at least. Yeah. And then. They could be knocked down by Paul Blart Mall Cop 2 on the April 17th. Yeah. But I sincerely hope not. Yeah. I mean, three weeks is a long time to... But, yeah. I, don't, I have a feeling that that won't, won't knock it off the top. Mm-hmm. But Child 44 sounds interesting because I was looking at the cast there. Uh, that also comes out on April 17th. Uh, Tom Hardy's in there, uh, as well as... Gary Oldman and Naomi Rape, uh, Rapace. I can't oh, remember yeah, her yeah. last name. Yeah. But she's been in a lot of things recently. Yeah. They've all I think they've all worked together actually. Um 
uh, in another movie. And I think this is similar. I think it's like a spy thriller. So. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at that one. It actually looks pretty interesting. And then I remember seeing a trailer for the movie Unfriended. That just looks ridiculous and stupid. And <laughs> That's a, a Netflix movie if you ever want to watch a horrible horror movie, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I know what you're talking about now. It took when you said horrible horror movie, I <laughs> I have seen the commercial for that. So uh, you are correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then so the last weekend in April, April twenty fourth, there's a couple that are of note. Little boy, which I have heard nothing about, and I don't. It's got Kevin James in that as well. It's a drama. Hmm. Um, there's a couple of people that look in that I've heard of in the cast, but. I'm not, I haven't heard anything about this movie. And then Age of Adeline, which has Harrison Ford, Blake Lively. Uh, so it's actually got a, a couple of cast members that look familiar. Yeah. But that's that's a romance movie. Yeah. So Yeah. My, my wife, we I don't know what we were watching, but we saw a trailer for that. And yeah, she was like, yeah, we got to go see that. <laughs> yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen a trailer for that yet, but... Yeah. If it's if it's an okay movie, uh, maybe I'll go see that with Jennifer. Yeah, it 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 looks like a um, fairly good. You know, it's one of those movies that I think uh, guys won't mind going to see. You know. Yeah. Oh, and I really want to comment on the movie that's listed right underneath of Age of Adeline, but that's not this month. That's <laughs> next month. However, yes. I'll be seeing it this month. Oh, that's the other one I forgot to tell you when I was doing my my tickets. Mm-hmm. I bought tickets to go see the Avengers Age of Ultron. Yes. Um, the, was it May 29th? I'm sorry, not May 29th. April 29th? Or, but the day before May 1st, whatever day that is. Yeah. Uh, and it's up at the Chicago Navy Pier IMAX. So a huge, awesome theater. Uh, Going to go see a huge, awesome movie. Excellent. But that is next month. That is not... Or that that is April. Yeah, that is May, not April. So uh, we'll be discussing that in our overview at the end of next month. Yes. But for now, I think Frank has waited long enough. <laughs> Let's get into our entertaining thoughts. This week we're discussing Netflix's House of Cards. Yet again, one more week break between our Marvel Phase 1 and Phase 2. We will be returning to the Marvel Phase 2 universe next week with Iron Man 3, and we're going to complete that phase with the release of The Avengers Age of Ultron. So, looking forward to those discussions in the upcoming weeks. However, we thought that Frank Underwood needed to be served his due and discuss his political machinations. Now, as we mentioned before in the show, that this will be a spoiler-filled discussion of Netflix's House of Cards. So if you haven't seen all seasons 1, 2, and 3 and are worried about spoilers, we could bring up plot points that are all through the series. So please... Stop here, watch House of Cards, and come back. 
you really should be watching House of Cards if you're not. Yes. <laughs> so just, uh, I, like I said, we're not going to give an overview or anything anymore because obviously, like I just said, if you've seen House of Cards, you know what it's all about. And if you don't care about House of Cards, you just want to kind of hear the entertaining things or the plot points that, you, that we think are cool that we're going to bring up, then you're in the right spot. So let's just go ahead and start with Justin. Why do you like House of Cards? Um, I think it's uh, it's weird for me because it's I, I've said this before. I, I think it's actually like a really dry show because there's just like a lot of dialogue and um, you know setup. But uh, Kevin Spacey as Frank Underwood is just like. There's something about watching him that it's, like, just super entertaining. Uh, so I could just, like, watch him talk all day. Uh, he, he's very entertaining as a talker and um, as Frank Underwood. And Frank Underwood's, like, this interesting character who's got this, you know, he's a very, he's got a dark side, like a really dark side. And... Uh, I think the biggest thing for House Cards as a whole is just to watch every season there seems to be like a setup where he's there's all these plans and motions going into place for like a single event that really shocks the audience. Um so you know the first season there was a lot of setup and for the death of uh Peter Russo. And I think like once that moment came and you realized that all eight or whatever episodes beforehand were all leading to this moment was just like a huge moment where I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. Uh, and I think, uh, I think that's the most entertaining thing for me is like, I'm constantly trying to watch what the setup is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, you know, especially in the third season, they started shining light on other characters, and we realized that like how complicated all these people's lives really are. And uh, I just it's it's entertaining. I, I you know I've told people before like they're like, well, I don't like political dramas or, and I was like, it's more than that. You'll it's it's entertaining to watch these characters. Um, it's drama and intrigue with a political setting. Yeah, yeah, like. Sometimes the show can get a little bit heavy on the political talk and stuff, but um, for the most part, you, you can see right past a lot of that stuff and just pay attention to the actual character dramas going on, and uh, that's what I really love about this show. Yeah. So, I, we've mentioned this before, right? We, neither of us are really into politics. Um, and so that the fact that we both like the show is kind of odd because a, we're not really into politics, but B is that it's, it's a, it's a drama that obviously deals with the inner workings of how politics works, you know, with, uh, the, I, I never knew that there was this such a thing, but you know, the Senate minority leader or majority leader whip or whatever he was, um, I never knew that there was a leadership or things like that, but after watching this, then I kind of understand things a little bit more and how, how politics actually, how it's uh, structured, 
So maybe that's just ignorance on my part that I didn't know these things until this movie or until this TV show. But uh, yeah, so it kind of it's kind of funny that we're talking about this on Sunday because you know on Sunday it's Meet the Press. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they always have that political shows on on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting that we're doing this discussion on Sunday instead of our typical time. But so the what draws me to the show, what keeps me coming back, what sucked me in at first was Kevin Spacey and just his acting, the way that he portrayed Frank Underwood, uh, and the fact that he broke the fourth wall, you know, and he looks at the audience and talks to the audience and just kind of does these little things here and he doesn't do it all the time i mean it's not a guarantee that he'll do it every episode and in fact i think there was a time where he didn't for a long time and then he looks at the at the camera towards the end of the series or towards the end of one of the seasons he's like you guys thought i forgot about you didn't you yeah i think uh i think it was actually the first episode of the second season he okay. doesn't do it the entire episode and like right at the end, he, yeah, he he does that, and it's like, oh, he's he is here. Mm-hmm. It's ah, oh, it's his acting is superb and tremendous. And we mentioned this before, I think that when you watch House of Cards, and you look from seasons one to season three, and the way that they age Frank or Kevin Spacey's character, they they age him really well and i'm not 100 percent sure how much time is supposed to have passed i think that he's running for 2016 uh, elections so it's really not that long of a of a gap but uh so he's running for 2016 elections because uh he wants to be actually elected as president but the the acting from kevin spacey is what drew me in originally just the way he portrayed the character, the way that he was able to interact with other people, and how you saw his acting when he was being a political guy, all smiles and faces one time, and then as soon as that person left, he like flipped the switch, mm-hmm. and he was his true character. Yeah. I mean, I always compare Frank Underwood to Palpatine, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because... Because especially you look at the prequel series for Star Wars and you see Senator Palpatine, Grand Chancellor Palpatine, how he's always two-faced. He's got his his dignitary side when he's talking to all the senators and the Jedi. And then, like, as soon as they leave, he's always like, you know, die, Jedi. Yeah, exactly. Like so I always compare the two because they have similar progressions Except I don't think one is going to be shooting lightning out of his fingers anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, that would be a surprise. But I don't yeah. think it's going to happen. But there's a lot of things. And in the first season, everything that the character of Frank Underwood does, he lines it up and he knocks it down, right? He lines everything up and it's going to do exactly what happens as he says. And things, he's just like, he makes it happen the way he wants it to happen. As you get through the series, though, especially in the third season... He's kind of lost that control, and you see him just trying to deal with that, deal with that. He's not the one that's in control anymore, and that he's just trying to to hold it together. I think there was a, I think there was a line that they used in a trailer actually, that was in one of the final scenes of the of the season three, and something about true power or something like that or true integrity is 
keeping it together when the stakes are this high. Yeah. You know, that's the mark of a true something. And just the interaction between him and Claire and Robin Wright, her acting is amazing as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this isn't just the Kevin Spacey show. I mean, because Robin Wright's in there and she does an amazing job. Michael Kelly, um, I think he's, he's Doug Stamper's character. Yeah. Those three characters, their acting is amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, you also have the the girl uh, that was the reporter, Zoe. She had some good acting in the beginning, but I don't know. She was she was getting a little tiresome by the time that uh, Frank thought she was also getting some tiresome. Because <laughs> uh, obviously there was that plot point where, uh, I think it's in the second season. Yeah, second much season. Like, much like you allude to with uh, with Pete, is that she kind of outlived her usefulness to him and met an unfortunate end with a train. Yes. And the fact that he did that, I mean, we already kind of knew that he had that dark side to him with the way he was maneuvering things. Mm -hmm. And then it was especially solidified with what he did with Peter. And then the fact that he just does does this, it it was, I couldn't honestly believe that that happened because it was towards the beginning of season two. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it was only a few episodes in. And it was just, it was really surprising. I remember, like, anyone that you knew that was talking, that was watching House of Cards was like, everyone wanted to talk about that. When they first seen that, they're like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so another character that pops up that was also magnificent acting, but she is just like a supporting character, was the girl that played Rachel, who just kind of shows up um, with Peter in the car, and like as a call girl or something like that. And you never, you don't think anything of her. At that point, right? You just think that she's some girl that was with him. But then she's brought back in. And she is an integral part of the third season. Mm-hmm. I, You know, watching the first season, I thought she was like just a background character that was never going to have any other use in the series. But the fact that then she was brought back in to, to bring Peter down again. And then she, you know, <laughs> she pretty much just intended on killing uh, the... Doug Stamper character. Yeah. And then running away. And that he was pretty much obsessed with her the entire third season because he was obviously recovering from what she did. And then he thought that she was dead and he went through like the denial and recovering. But then at the end, it was just like back and forth what was going to happen that last episode. Yeah, that last episode was really like you had no idea what was going on or what was going to happen for sure. Mm hmm. And I was honestly surprised. I I literally thought that he was going to let her go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they filmed that perfectly. I was, yeah. And uh, I think, I think, uh, you know, episode or season one and two, I was, it was really uh, great. Um, I mean, it was interesting and shocking to see Frank do all these horrible things. You know, you know, I mean, he's killed two people since we've, started seeing him and uh i thought that was really interesting but then the season three kind of shifts focus to doug and claire's characters and uh, i really liked watching um doug's character kind of change throughout the season of season three so Mm -hmm. yeah it's his character had a, a big change obviously he was 
you know, fighting with a lot of struggles, a lot of inner demons, it seems, that he was just trying to get into raps and so he could get back to work. Yeah. But, I mean, it was just, even though he was, you know, beaten, you know, he was recovering, he was still uh, able to go and track down that hacker guy that kind of put one over on him just so he could get out of the country. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of intricacies with this, and honestly, we could we could talk hours on this. We could do an entire series where we just talk about an episode and talk about it at least for like a half an hour to 45 minutes per episode. Yeah. So it's really hard to do an overview for everything that goes on, but there's a lot of maneuvering, a lot of intricacies. I mean, because you have in season two the whole path that Frank wants to get on to be, I think it's vice president by the end of season two, I believe. Yeah. And then by the actual end of season two, he maneuvers it so he becomes the president. Yeah. So just the fact that you can see that he maneuvers everything to get what he wants to get there without even anybody voting for him into office, he's president by the end of the second season. Yeah, it's uh, really incredible to watch uh, this plan go through. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you're right, it's hard to talk about this. It's such a wide overview, but... I think these are just, you know, our favorite things about the show. And uh, I want to ask you, do you have any ideas or uh, uh, what what do you think will happen in season four? I want to ask you. Cause so before... Th- there, there's some cliffhangers there, or, you know, at the end of season three, and they definitely leave it open for a new storyline. Before I speculate, I put the call out on Twitter that said hey what do you what do you think about house of cards do you have anything that uh you want to bring up on the show so our friend josh oaks at jp oaks o-a-k-e-s one on twitter sent me a message and said remember last season so season three when claire was in iowa for frank going door to door and saw spoke privately with that housewife the housewife had to feel her had to feed her baby so claire left her security outside and went into the lady's house to talk i think that moving forward claire is going to divorce frank and run against him the lady spoke to the lady she spoke to said that she would not have voted for frank but for claire plus claire was gaining momentum at the end of the season Plus, she has the experience as Secretary of State. And she has a lot of dirt on Frank. Thoughts? Uh, that's an interesting idea. That's definitely a large part of Season 3 is that, uh, you know, Frank has to use Claire um, to talk to his, you know, potential voters because she's the one that everyone likes. Um, that's a big part of some of the last episodes in season three, so that's definitely an interesting idea. I don't know. I don't know if she would run against him, but it's very true. She's got a lot of dirt on him, and people like her more than like him at this point. But think about this too. I mean, just as much dirt as she has on him, he has on her. Very true. Yeah. Um. Yeah. She definitely has some uh, hidden secrets. You know. Uh, that have come up throughout the show so it'd be interesting if 
he's definitely ruthless enough that he would use those against her if he had to. Yeah, I mean, we already saw that in that debate with yeah. the, the girl that he was going to have as his vice president. Now, the whole private school thing. Yeah. And they were going to use that as a thing against the other running woman. And then it was going well, and then all of a sudden, Frank's character turns on her. Yeah. And pulls that out and shows his true nature. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting idea. I... Um... I don't know. I, I, I really don't know what's going to happen in season four. So I think, going along with Josh, uh, with his question or his thought, is that I don't think that she would run for president against Frank. What I do think could happen is that she runs as like vice president with the other woman that's running. And I can't remember who that character is off the top of my head at the end of the season. So... I could see that happening. Because honestly, a lot of what was taking place at the end of the season was focusing on their division. And that, you know, people were wondering where she at, and he was calling out, oh, you know, she's, you know, this other person's out campaigning, but she doesn't have Mrs. Frank Underwood or, you know, Mrs. Claire Underwood, whatever it is. And he was calling her out a lot. And I don't know if that was just to save marriage or if that was to really just political maneuvering again but honestly if there is a true division between the two which it seems pretty apparent that there is is that if she were to run against frank it'd be as a vice president for the other lady that's running and it's killing me that i can't remember what her name is right now uh yeah i have a i can't jackie no jackie was the one that was gonna be his vice president yes uh, vice president yeah um yeah, I can't think of her name right now, but uh, yeah, I, that's an idea. I I don't. I personally don't think Claire is gonna run for anything necessarily. Um, I I get the impression. I mean, she she does not. She hates Frank at this moment. I think she's she dealt with who he really was in the past because they had a goal. Or is I'm really curious why she is you know, really does like him. Because she seems to have a softer heart than he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, uh, I don't know if she'll run against him, but I think it'll just be, I think the next season will be a lot about how he's going to try to, I mean, I, th- I feel like he's going to be more ruthless than ever in the next season. Because yeah. he's against the ropes without Claire I, in his, uh, you know, corner. Yeah. And I was interest. It was interesting in this last season, um, when he actually went over to that war zone and talked with the Russian president. Yeah. So I mean that was a character development part where he was went out there and I don't think there's ever been a president that's actually existed that has done that in the modern age. Yeah. A, I don't think they would let him. Yeah. <laughs> B, I, I just don't think that they would ever take that risk, especially but, in those circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, and I just want to talk for a second about, about the foils for Frank's character. So, in season one, he didn't really have any competition, right? There was nobody that could really match Frank in season one. In season two, you got that Tusk character, who was the the friend of uh, the President Walker, and who was vetting him to be, I think, Secretary of State or something like that. 
and who we find out advised Walker not to appoint him as Secretary of State originally. So Tusk was an interesting character, especially when they were meeting in his hometown and he was being evaluated. Um, and he just kind of kept coming up during season two as a, a returning character and a foil that could really match Frank or understood what Frank was doing. And I don't think until that point, Frank didn't have that kind of competition. And then in the third season, the other foil that kind of stood, stands up to Frank and is just as ruthless was the Russian president. Uh, obviously a, a poke at Putin, because I want to keep calling him Putin, but it's not Putin. Uh, it was some Russian president, I think Petrov or... I think it was Petrov, something. yeah. Okay. So it was... It's interesting to see that there's not many people that can match Frank, but the ones that they present that do, do a really good job at doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, uh, yeah, that's very true. I never really thought about that, that they find these characters who are strong enough to oppose Frank. And, uh, I, I mean, I guess really Claire could be that character in season four too. Mm-hmm. Because I doubt we, we may get, you know, passing things with the Russian president, but we're not going to get as much as we did with season three because he was in a lot of episodes and was a focus on a few episodes. Cause I think, yeah, cause he came to America and then, uh, Frank and Claire went to Russia and then I think after that they met at that war zone. Yeah. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the fourth season. And it's going to be a long time to wait until the fourth season because if, if it's any indication of when it'll come out, it'll be February of next year. Yes. Because uh, the first three seasons have come out in February, so it'll probably be the same for next year as well. Yeah, which is fair. I, I mean, for a well produced show like this uh, mm-hmm. a year a year turnaround's pretty good so yeah i mean honestly we're accustomed to waiting a year to watch a show for a new season to start but we're not as accustomed to having to we get with netflix the series you get the entire season like available to just binge watch so i mean you really could watch it all in one day and then you have to wait until the next year to watch the rest of it whereas normal broadcast you wait a week or two until the next episode comes out. So it doesn't feel like your wait is quite as long between seasons, but, I mean, I prefer being able to just watch it all anyway and then just wait for the next season. Yeah, I'm the same way. So it isn't, yeah, you have a little bit of a longer wait because you watch it, end up watching it faster, but I prefer that convenience anyways. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about the music? Oh, the music's amazing. Uh, it's... Every, anytime that song comes up, you know, the 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 credits song, uh, it just gets you in the mood for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you're, you know, I know you're a big fan of it, and I know you were able to pick up the music this week. Uh, and I'm sure that's been a joy to listen to. It's very good background music, and <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of funny, is because when you're listening to the main, uh, the the main body of the tracks. You almost just feel like you remember the House of Cards, obviously, when you're watching it. So that's pretty much what's forefront in your mind. And then, like, depending on what you're doing, like, if you're working and just listening to it in the background, you kind of start to feel like Frank Underwood and want to make decisions like Frank Underwood. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. I uh, completely understand that. 
<laughs> but it's a definitely a, a good soundtrack. I really have been enjoying listening to it. And so there's a soundtrack available for Seasons 1 and Season 2. And I picked up the one for Season 2 just because there's a little bit more nuance to it, I think, when I was listening to and during the episodes. But it's it's really good. And the artist that does the composition is Jeff Beal. And I haven't heard a whole lot by Jeff Beal. So it was interesting to, to see where he took this and uh, was able to actually make a good-sounding soundtrack. But I, I could elaborate on the music for a long time, <laughs> but I won't. <laughs> uh, but you'll be able to hear just a little bit of it, obviously, in this episode of the podcast. So, I mean... We could talk House of Cards forever. Is there a final thought that you would just like to do for this episode? Uh, I think I just, I mean, to any viewers who haven't watched it yet, or I just, I mean, I hope you're not listening to all the spoilers in this episode, I guess, but uh, I just, it's a great show, um, and don't sell it as a political show. It's definitely more of a thriller drama. and uh, I just, I can't wait for season four. I think uh, we'll both be excited to talk about that next year. Yep. It'll be, it'll be good to, to be able to f- watch that and just focus on one season instead of trying to clump all three together. But, and like I said, we missed a lot of, a lot of stuff that happened in this. I mean, we didn't even mention Remy and his whole thing. Mm-hmm. But it's, we've, we've spoken about it now for about as long as we can on this episode, but it's, very good. I recommend that you watch it and continue the conversation with us on Twitter. We would love to talk House of Cards with you, so on on Twitter you can do so at, at EntertainingPod, or us individually. We'll give those Twitter handles at the end of the show as well. But continue the conversation. Let us know what you think of House of Cards. What was your favorite part? Why do you like it, or why do you not like it? Just let us know. We'd love to hear. So, next week, we'll be returning as I said, to Marvel, with Phase 2, Iron Man 3 will be our discussion topic for next week. So make sure if you want to be well-versed in that, watch it beforehand, and we'll be able to go in-depth and talk into that and see how the ramifications of the Avengers affected Tony and Iron Man and how it'll be going forward. So next week, Iron Man 3. And, as I announced last week, we have a new entertaining code to give away. It has not yet been claimed, so <laughs> I'm wondering if we're going to have a whole other uh, thing like we did with the Assassin's Creed game to give this one away where it'll take a while. But, uh, Expendables 3. If you would like to get a download code for Expendables 3, the theatrical edition, tweet and follow at EntertainingPod with the hashtag EntertainingCode and say that you want to win or <laughs> whatever. Yeah, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And if you're in a tweeting mood, I have a question for you, dear listeners. Who is more ruthless, Underwood or Palpatine? Justin, who do you think is more ruthless? Uh, Underwood. Underwood. Yes. You, seriously, going Underwood. I'm voting Underwood. Yeah, I think uh, I think if he had the power of Palpatine, 
he would be even worse than Palpatine is. But just remember, Underwood's more of a mortal with no superpowers or uh, no force uh, powers. So uh, I think if he had powers like that, he'd be even worse than Palpatine was. <laughs> well, true. Um, so Palpatine, though, I mean, he he made a war just so he could ascend to power. He he made a war on both sides, and tons of people died. That's that's very true as well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm still going. I'm a, I'm sticking with my answer, Underwood. Okay. <laughs> well, that's very respectable answer, obviously, because I always re- when I think of people who are ruthless in political machinations, I think of those two. So, I mean, I would like to see what the community thinks. Who is more? Who who are you on? Team Palpatine or Team Underwood? <laughs> oh, so we are we are the bad guys. It's just whoever we're going to back, whoever we're going to back, will be our leader. Yep, okay. pretty much. Okay. And who? So who would be the vice president? Who would be the president? <laughs> Perfect. So uh, let us know. Who do you think more is more ruthless, Underwood or Palpatine? Who would you like to see as president? As well, shoot us a review over at iTunes or Stitcher. We'd love to hear from you over there. It's always nice to uh, be able to give shout-outs and reviews to those who have given so uh, so far, we just have the one review on iTunes from our friend Xmen137, uh, and we read that last week. So, if you would like to give us a review, please do so. Give us any criticisms that you think that we have. You can contact us, obviously, at EntertainingPod. You can send us an email at vatsentertaining at gmail.com, and we would love to get your thoughts on the show. You can contact Justin on Twitter. Yep, you can find me at jpicky86, J-P-I-C-K-Y-86. And you can contact me, I am at SithNightmare, S-I-T-H-K-N-I-G-H-T-M-A-R-E. Yes. And now, it's time for a break after that long Twitter handle. (laughs) (laughs) So, for myself, for Justin... We thank you for listening to That's Entertaining this week. We hope that you have been entertained.